this, my friends, is secular humanism trying to blend religions as part of their cause to promote world unity and peace. And whenever human beings get involved and they uninvolve, they leave out the one true God, it fails every time. As a matter of fact, just the opposite of peace happens. Hi, and welcome to One Little Candle, a place where genuine believers are encouraged, empowered, and inspired to be the light that God calls us to be by contending for the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his people so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. And in case you're thinking that you can't make a difference in your own little corner of the world, Yes, you can, because all it takes is one little candle. I'm your host, Rebecca Bershwinger. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Moms and dads, do you have a budding artist in your home? If so, why not enter them into the very first global art contest for children to depict what is special about Israel for them? You see, this year, the nation of Israel will be celebrating its 75th anniversary of their Declaration of Independence and the restoration of the Jewish sovereignty to the land of Israel after almost 2,000 years. And so the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation, which is a ministry that builds bridges between Christians and Jews, has created this art contest called What Israel Means to Me. So your child could either paint, color, draw, or illustrate a biblical story, prophecies relating to Israel, the modern state of Israel, the people of Israel, the scenery, and the landscape of Israel, or something else that connects them to Israel in a biblical and age-appropriate way. And this contest is open to ages 5 to 17. If you are interested, you must register your child and submit their entries by April 15, 2023. After that, a diverse panel of international judges will evaluate all the entries, and then winners will be announced in a live event on May 14th, which is the date of the 75th anniversary of Israel's Declaration of Independence. For more information or to register your child, log on to www.whatisraelmeanstome.com. Not only can your child show off their artistic talents, but they can also learn more about the nation of Israel in the process. So again, log on to www.whatisraelmeanstome.com. Hello, and thank you so very much for joining me today. I hope today finds you doing well. So a lot going on in our world, as always, but there's a, um, something I really want to get into today fairly at length. I've got 31 pages of notes here, so I can tell it's going to have to be split up into more than one episode But I feel it's really important, and I feel it's really important because when I look into this, so many people who say they are Christians or part of the church are just thrilled with this latest event, and I am not so thrilled, and I don't feel as though you should be either. And what I'm referring to is the Abrahamic family house. That has opened up. And actually, I named this episode The Abrahamic Family House. The devil is in the details, literally. 
I think it's an excellent name for this episode because there is a lot more to this than meets the eye, as there is with a lot of things, I guess, when it comes to being in a spiritual battle. So we're going to talk about what is the Abrahamic family house. I'm going to talk about the three religions that are involved in this. Um, I, I want to get into a little bit on each of these three religions And I want to bring, of course, God's word into all of this. And I want to encourage you to have your spiritual eyes and ears open as to what is happening. So there is something that is opened in a place called Abu Dhabi. And Abu Dhabi is located in the Persian Gulf. It is a part of the United Arab Emirates. So it's an Arab nation, an Arab uh, country. I think it's got about 1.5 million people in Abu Dhabi. It's the next biggest city next to Dubai. So there is something that has opened and it's called the Abrahamic Family House. It officially opened its doors February 16th, 2023. Now this Abrahamic Family House consists of three separate buildings, a church, which represents Christianity, a synagogue representing Judaism, and a mosque, which represents the religion of Islam. Now, all three of these buildings sit upon the same foundation. They were built on the same foundation. The purpose of them sharing the same foundation is to represent the fact that all three religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, stem from Abraham, Father Abraham. And the belief system, if you will, that's associated with the purpose of this whole thing is rooted in a document that was created in 2019. It's called the Document on Human Fraternity. It was signed by the Grand Imam Ahmed El Tayyib and Pope Francis. And according to the chairman of the Higher Committee of Human Fraternity, the site, quote, epitomizes interfaith, harmonious coexistence, and preserves the unique character of each religion, unquote, at the same time. So, (laughs) very interesting, right? So people are like, wow, this is amazing. Three major religions coming together for the good of humanity. So I'm going to just share some quotes from a couple sites. This one is from religionnews.com, and they have this to say, The mosque, church, and synagogue complex is a shining monument to tolerance. It also says the Abrahamic family house will be a significant milestone if the center becomes a vibrant place for faiths to interact and fellowship. And it also says that soon a new Hindu temple will open in Abu Dhabi, further diversifying the religious landscape. And it says the United Arab Emirates leadership has also focused on countering ISIS ideology and the Muslim Brotherhood. That's a good thing. Those are terrorist organizations. And the Abrahamic family house can be seen as a positive flip side to these darker battles. But I don't know, for me, two words jump out, tolerance and diversity, because they're not bad things in and of themselves, but the way those who hold to woke ideologies use them actually is very Um, ungodly, anti-biblical, and divisive and destructive. So these are red flag words that we're hearing from this. Um, 
And there's also an opinion piece from nationalnews.com that says the Abrahamic family house is not about merging faiths. The purpose is to advance interfaith dialogue and coexistence. And I'm sure you've seen the coexistence bumper stickers that usually only pagans and Wiccans and people like that have on the back of their cars that coexist with all the the symbols. Um, So in this article as well from nationalnews.com, it says, some have labeled our project a Chrislam venture. Chrislam is something people have been talking about for several years, a new one world religion combining Christianity and Islam. So it says, some have labeled our project a Chrislam venture. The criticism could not be further from the truth. And they go on to talk about the HCHF. HCHF, they're talking about the Committee of Human Fraternity. Um, It says, the HCHF was previously subject to such accusations about starting a one-world religion among the first stage of the COVID-19 pandemic. This was when it launched the Pray for Humanity campaign, calling on believers of all religions to join in a global prayer to ask God to end the pandemic, help those working in the medical community, and guide scientists to find the necessary vaccines. The allegation at the time was that our call was to invent a prayer bringing Muslims, Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, and other faith followers together to pave the way for a new religion, subsuming them all. Despite these false allegations, on the day of the prayer, millions of people worldwide responded to the call positively. Each prayed according to their own belief, rituals, sacred texts, and in their own languages. No common texts or rituals were provided, only the timing and purpose of the prayer. So let me stop right there. I just want to comment on that alone. The fact that everyone of all faiths were called to pray for the same thing. So they asked all the religions to get together and pray. Now, from the Christian standpoint, okay, unless you're praying to the one true God, your prayers are not being heard. They're, they're to no avail. Where do you find in the Bible God's people praying alongside pagans, a a joint effort. Now, in this instance, they weren't exactly praying um, along with each other side by side, but you will find what happens when someone prays to the true God, to the one true God, and when people pray to an idol, a false God. You'll see the difference here in this story that I'm about to share with you from the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18, and it was Elijah with the prophets of Baal. So King Ahab confronts the prophet Elijah, and it says in verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab does this. He gathers all um, the people of Israel, the prophets together. And Elijah came near to the people and says in verse 21, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. 
But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire for he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So they're like, yeah, this is a great idea. Yep, let's do this. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. So here these people are doing everything they can for hours and hours and hours to try to get the God that they prayed to that was not the God of the Bible to hear, to answer. And it says, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two I don't know how to pronounce this word, S-E-A-H-S, seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So he drenched that altar. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That was first Kings chapter 18 verses 20 through 39. So we see what happened when people who don't honor the one true God pray nothing. So this idea of calling all religions together to pray, what language they speak has nothing to do with it. What words they use to cry out to God, it's who are they crying out to? Who are they praying to? So I just want to comment on that part because the fact of the matter is, unless they're praying to the one true God, their prayers are not being heard. 
The human fraternity mission for the Abrahamic family house is to serve as an example of religion and an inspiration for good and harmony instead of hate, discrimination, and destruction. So this is one of their purposes they are saying for this this house. Um, and here's where we run into a problem too. Define hate and discrimination, okay? Because as we know, the direction that we've gone now in our world is that when you speak the truths of the Bible, you are accused of hate speech. If you say that a man cannot be a woman and a woman cannot be a man, you are spewing forth hate speech, according to them, and discrimination if you say Jesus is the only way. So how are they going to erase? Again, you have to look at how it's defined. It sounds all great on the surface, but the problem is how they're defining it. Falsely labeling things as hate speech. So one more quote I have about this says, we aspire to promote peaceful coexistence that fosters fraternity regardless of faith, ethnic, and cultural differences. This aspiration is turning into a global movement to promote human fraternity, and it will transcend any obstacles and attempts to tarnish its noble humanitarian goals. This, my friends, is secular humanism trying to blend religions as part of their cause to promote world unity and peace. And whenever human beings get involved and they uninvolve, they leave out the one true God, it fails every time. As a matter of fact, just the opposite of peace happens. So the idea of a religious center where they say they're seeking unity, okay, and how they define unity is probably much different than you or I as Christians would define unity. But this definition of unity just falls apart when you, when you hold it up to a biblical lens, to the lens of truth, because the fact is the only way for human beings to truly be at peace is, is to be at peace with God first. And how are we at peace with God? We are at peace with God through a personal relationship with the Prince of Peace, with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the way to God. The only way to God, as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We know that Islam and Judaism both deny who Jesus Christ is. So really what we're seeing is very ungodly. Um, what we're seeing is in fact satanic. I believe it is the perfect setup. Um, the grooming, we have a lot of grooming going on in a lot of areas these days, don't we? But the grooming of people for a one world religion, the biggest religion that's recognized as Christian and, and really is um, accepted, tolerated by the world is Roman Catholicism. That should be a red flag right there because the further the world gets from God, you know, it still embraces Roman Catholicism. And now we have the, the head of it, the Pope, Pope Francis, um, really embracing ungodly ideologies. Okay. Those of us who believe in the rapture, believe in the tribulation, um, 
we know that a one world religion is indeed coming, a time when all throughout the world will be commanded to, demanded to worship the image of the beast. I mean, right now, many believe that religion is a problem of the world. They try to point out, look at the division that exists amongst Christians or amongst all these religions of the world. Um, even though the world sees Christianity as a religion, we truly, we truly aren't. But we have to be included in this religion category. <laughs> um, but the foolish, depraved mentality, because we are living in a Romans 1 world, is that in order to obtain world peace, religions need to be unified. And this is the first step. This is a huge step. This is a big, blatant public step to unify totally different religions. Now, as Christians, of course, we are not against unity. Unity is not a bad thing. It's a great thing, as long as it's based upon a biblical unity, right? The unity of the Holy Spirit. But their idea of unity, trust me, is going to be to embrace the cultural ideologies that we are up against now. Um, Same-sex marriage, transgenderism, all forms of sexual immorality, um, things like that, okay? That is what they're looking for people to do as well. And, And not only that, most importantly, actually, what they're going to want everyone to say and believe is that there is more than one way to God, that all paths lead to the same God. Whether it be Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, it it doesn't matter to them. All paths lead to the same God. And as Christians, we know that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, it really is, I believe it's a fight against Christianity when it comes right down to it. But the spirit of the Antichrist really is at work in today's religious leaders, such as Pope Francis. And amazingly, too, where this this complex of buildings are located, they're located in an area where Teaching that Jesus is the only God, is the only way to God, is considered an act of insulting Allah or insulting the prophet Muhammad. And one of the signers, Mr. Al-Tayyib, who signed the, the document of human fraternity for world peace, he's touted as a moderate Muslim, but he strongly believes that Muslims who convert from Islam to any other religion, including Christianity, should be killed. So here we have this idea of a one-world religion headquarters that's supposed to bring tolerance and understanding, but it's built in a Muslim country where conversion is illegal. And it's done with someone who teaches that anyone who converts from Islam to another religion should be killed. So I wouldn't say that's tolerance and understanding. So something is going to have to give here, right? They say, oh, uphill and down. They swear that the, these faiths will be able to keep their original identities and their beliefs while coming together in fellowship and dialogue and, and um, worship. Do, do you see how this can't be possible unless you are diluting the faith, unless you are instilling false beliefs into this um, 
they're using words like inclusion, justice, equality, equity, tolerance. And these things, if they're done biblically, they're great, but they've put a human, a humanistic spin on these things. And so these religions are going to have to embrace all these things in order to bring about what they're looking to bring about. Am I making sense here? But I want to look at the three religions a little closer. And the commonalities for these three religions in this complex are that they stemmed from Abraham. But we need to look at where we're at now because they may have sprung from Abraham, but where they went after that is of the utmost importance. It really, it really is. The church that's there, by the way, in Abu Dhabi is a Roman Catholic church. That is the church that's representing Christianity. Now, in my opinion, and I I hate when I have to say this, but when you look at the dogma, the doctrine, their theology, I don't believe you can call the Catholic religion Christian. Again, Christianity is not a religion. It's not. It is a relationship with the one true God, with the true God, the living God. It's a relationship with him, a personal relationship. But they had the Catholic Church representing Christianity here. Um, I don't believe it represents the true Christian church, although Roman Catholicism for years and years has said it is the one true church. But boy, the Pope's gone completely the other end of the spectrum with that, and I'll get to that in a little bit. Look, I have many friends and close family members within the Catholic Church. I attended one for years myself. I do believe there are saved people within the Catholic Church. I think they should get out. Um, But there are saved people within the Catholic Church. But the Catholic religion itself is not Christian. So here are the commonalities that the Catholic Church has. They're calling the Christian Church, okay? I mean, the Roman Catholic Church does believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. They believe in the Trinity. They believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, but, but here's where the problem comes in, and it's a huge problem. Look, you know the saying, um, unity in the essentials and liberty in the non-essentials, but there is no unity in the essentials here because they also believe that Mary, the earthly mother of, of Jesus, is co-redemptrix with Jesus, that Jesus saves based on her help and guidance. You can easily access the official Roman Catholic teachings. Look them up. Don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself. Okay? This is heresy, my friends. They fail to adhere to the important Christian doctrine as to who Jesus is. They're basically, they're denying that his death and resurrection, first of all, were enough because they also are based on religion of works. We'll get to that. But that he doesn't alone have the power to save. He's not sovereign. Overall, when it comes to salvation, he relies on his earthly mother, Mary, who, by the way, was not sinless, as the Catholic Church says. She was indeed a sinner, just like the rest of us, and she herself admits her need of a Savior. 
But this is the huge chasm between true Christianity and the Catholic religion. Now, it's also a religion of, of works. The Catholic teaching says that going to Mass, participating in the sacraments such as baptism, communion, and confirmation, these are what get you entrance into heaven. These are what get your sins forgiven. These are what make you a child of God. But we know in the Bible that says that faith and our salvation, it's, it's a gift from God. It's a gift. It involves repentance. It involves coming to Christ, coming to him, accepting him as our Savior, making him Lord over our lives. It has nothing to do with works, as the Bible says, lest any man should boast. So if you got into heaven the Catholic way, do you think you might have room to boast? I can just hear the conversations up in heaven now. Well, you know, I did go to Mass every every day. I never missed a Mass, and I was baptized. My parents baptized me when I was a baby, so... And, oh, and I even, I went as far as confirmation. I got confirmed, so, yeah, thank goodness I did all those things, or I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> so, yeah, um... And I'll never forget sitting in church, in a Catholic church, in the day I heard a priest say that how we treat others on a daily basis is going to determine whether or not we gain entrance into heaven. Um, loving others is definitely a command of God, but it's a it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's the first fruit of the Spirit that the Bible mentions is love. I believe truly loving others and the way God wants us to love, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Yes, we as believers mess up in that area from time to time because, yes, we're still sinners. We are not completely sanctified. But truly loving others the way God wants us to, we have to know him first. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's because the Holy Spirit dwells within us that we can love others in the way that God wants us to. And, of course, let's not forget the veneration of the, of the saints, praying to them, giving them equal power with God. I witnessed a lot of that as well in the Catholic Church. I never participated in it, nor allowed my children to, but I did indeed witness it. You know, the graven images, of course, of, of all the saints and Mary and all the adoration they would give to her by laying flowers on her and and kneeling and praying, and I, I witnessed it all. And, you know, in, in the Catholic Bible, I don't know how many of you are aware of this, the Ten Commandments have indeed been changed. They took out the part, thou shalt not make any graven images. They took that out, and then they broke the last commandment, the Ten Commandment, into two parts, so there's still Ten Commandments. So I do not believe that the Catholic Church is Christian. So it doesn't really truly represent the Christian Church, even though much of the world says that it does. But but these are um, huge differences between the between actual Christianity and and Catholicism. Because again, any belief or theology that's pertinent to salvation that's not biblically based, such as Jesus Christ being the only way, and to me that would include not including Mary with him or worshiping any other God um, other than the God of the Bible, not the saints, not Mary. All right, but let's take a look at the Jewish religion, Judaism. Now, our Christian faith is deeply rooted in Judaism. Without it, there would be no Christianity, which is why as Christians, we love and we respect the Jewish people. We acknowledge them as God's chosen people. Yes, we who are truly in Christ, we are chosen as well. God graciously has grafted us in, and it tells us about this, in Romans chapter 11, verses 11, 31. And by the way, all my Bible verses are coming from the ESV. 
It says, now I am speaking to you Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, this is Paul, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, but you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So, no, the church, I know there's a little replacement theology out there, and the church has not replaced Israel, by the way, has not replaced Jewish people. No, we have not. We've been graciously grafted in with them. So our Christian heritage is Jewish. God entrusted the Jewish people with the Holy Scriptures. We owe them a debt of gratitude for how they've kept them, and they've kept them sacred and unchanged. Our Christian heritage is Jewish. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is Jewish. God chose his son to be born into the Jewish people. Our biblical writers, right, the disciples, the apostles, um, including Paul, they were Jewish so yes, there, there's a lot of commonalities there between the Christian and the Jewish faith, between Christianity and Judaism. We are connected, and that connection cannot and should never be broken. But we do have major differences, again, when it comes to things that are pertinent to salvation. We have major differences where Jesus is concerned. Judaism says that Jesus is not the Messiah. We as Christians say, yes, he is. We believe that the Jewish people missed the Messiah and that they will one day realize that it was him. There is a remnant. They'll believe upon the name of Jesus Christ. Now, the Jewish people's view of Christianity. Now, I think they view Christianity through the Catholic Church, so I can understand where they get some of this. But they view us as idol worshipers, as idolaters, okay, and worshiping more than one God because they do not embrace the Trinity, which God reveals himself as the triune God in his word. When it came to baptizing in Matthew 28, verse 19, they were instructed, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself instructed his disciples to do this. So, but they don't recognize the Trinity. They do believe that we are idolaters. And so there are a lot of misconceptions about Christianity from Judaism's standpoint. They see Catholicism 
the fact that they, they venerate saints and they pray to them and they bow before them and they're too high view of Mary. And so they see those things. They see those things in Israel even. And, and the cross. They also believe that we worship the cross. We bow down to the cross. I have a cross on my neck right now. I wear it every day. I, I never take it off. It's just a tiny little cross, but I don't worship it. I don't feel it has any power. I'd be fine without it around my neck. It's a reminder for those of us in the Christian faith of what our Lord and Savior did for us. It reminds me that I'm a sinner, that you know my sins needed cleansing, that someone had to pay the price for me, and that someone did, that Jesus did. That's what the cross is. I don't pray to it. I don't bow to it or anything like that. It, it has no power or, or anything like that. It's just a reminder of Jesus's sacrifice. So in spite of all the commonalities and that we do share the same roots and we are connected, there is, a again, a huge chasm when it comes to who Jesus is. He was no more than a teacher and a prophet as far as the Jewish people are concerned. He was not the Messiah. So that is something pertinent to salvation. So there's a, there's a huge separation there when it comes to, to that belief. Now let's move on to the third religion involved, and that is the religion of Islam. Now their holy scriptures come from the Quran, not the Bible, and it was the Quran was written by a Muslim prophet. His name was Muhammad. I don't remember the date the Quran was written, if you want to look more into it or whatever. The Quran is not written out kind of like the Bible is, so you get a whole the whole picture. Um, it's kind of PC, you know what I mean? It's there's no particular order or anything to it. But Muhammad believed that an angel or someone appeared to him and gave him these words and that we were created, I guess, from a blood clot. It's funny because Genesis says it was from the dust of the earth. From dust you remain, dust you shall return. But again, when it comes to Jesus, the Muslim religion does not see Jesus as God. He is not the son of God. He was a wonderful teacher and a prophet. They deny his death and his resurrection. They say that someone that was that looked like him was put to death and that the resurrection was just a sham. But you know, this thing with Jesus being a wonderful teacher and prophet, when you think about the things he said and claimed, he either truly was the son of God or like they say, a lunatic or a liar to claim he was the son of God that he was the only way to the father. Well, how is that a great prophet or teacher that, that, that he was a madman or a liar? If he wasn't the son of God, the way that the Muslim religion says, or even the, even Judaism claims as well, that he was merely a prophet and a teacher. That's not a great prophet or teacher. That's not someone to, to respect or revere at all. So that doesn't even in itself make sense. But, you know, very often people say that, that Christians and Muslims do worship the same God. Now they call God Allah. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I say, no, we don't. We do not worship the same God as the Muslim, as the Islamic faith. Because what they've done with Islam, they've taken the character of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They've taken the core of who he is and they've perverted him into a God of works, um, into a cold-blooded killer of the righteous, really. 
they've made their God a God who does not have a son, whose name is Jesus Christ. It's not the same God we worship. The God, Allah, that they worship is a God made up in their minds. He's maybe based on the original true God, but they've completely perverted who he is. And no, this God that they worship would kill people like you and I, okay? Infidels. He would consider us infidels. That's the God of their holy scriptures, the Quran. And I can supply you with some notes. I actually have some comparisons on the Quran and the Bible, even though, you know, the Muslims believe that our Bible has become corrupt. The Quran says that it came to attest to the teachings of the Bible. But when you study it, it contradicts every major teaching in the Bible. And the explanation is always that the Bible has been corrupted. And we have thousands of manuscripts in the Greek, Hebrew, um, Aramaic, Latin. They prove that the Bible that we read today is the very same Bible that existed, by the way, before Muhammad. Oh, and I, f- I forgot to mention, too, with, with Islam, there is a system of works. The Muslim religion believes that you can please Allah by doing good deeds, that if someone transgresses against Allah's commandments to commit sin, it doesn't affect or touch Allah. Uh, man sins against himself. It says the sinner hopes to obtain Allah's forgiveness, but that the sinner doesn't know for sure if he will obtain forgiveness, okay? He doesn't know for sure whether he'll enter paradise after his death. But yes, I will leave you my notes. Um, You can find them on the website, onelittlecandlepodcast.com. I'm going to leave you notes on actual words from the Quran and compare them with the Bible and you'll, you'll see what they say and, and just how different we truly are. It is not the same God that we are worshiping, okay? It's not. So they also say that Islam is a peaceful religion. Muslims are peaceful. In the Quran also, the earlier passages for peace were canceled out. And so it, it talks about killing the, the infidels, and we are considered the infidels. The peaceful Muslims aren't really, really abiding by their scriptures. If they're their holy scriptures, like our Bible is for us, true Christians abide by the scriptures. They abide by the word of God. But um, a true Muslim would abide by the the um, words of the prophet Muhammad. Many of them don't. They would be your peaceful Muslims. The extremists as they're called, the Muslim extremists, would be the ones who really abide by the Quran. So the things of importance when it comes to our religion based on Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, his death and resurrection, these religions couldn't be further apart. So how do we work together based on that? How? Now, of course, we can work together in certain ways. Take, for instance, you have the Israelis over in Turkey and Syria helping because they've got, I guess, quite the um, equipment and technology and know-how for rescuing people from situations like victims buried in uh, earthquake rubble in Turkey and Syria. Now, Syria is no friend to uh, Israel, and honestly, neither is Turkey And so you basically have enemies working together for the good of humanity, to save people, to rescue people, to save lives. 
that can be done and it should be done. We should work together in many areas to help those who are less fortunate than us, right? To speak for the lives of unborn children, to take a stand for certain things. We we should work together for the good of one another. We should always have everyone's best interests at heart. But the problem is, is what's been deemed best interests now, okay? This is where it becomes a problem. And the terms equality, tolerance, inclusivity, and justice, and all these things, that's where there's a problem between these three very different religions. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swing it into light and darkness. So let's take a look at John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We worship Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. And we, right, my fellow candles, we are also that light. Those of us who are in him, who abide in him, who follow him, we are that light as well. Okay. In Jesus, there is no darkness. So there should be no darkness in us. But a religion that does not believe in Jesus Christ as a son of God, as savior, is in darkness. So if we don't follow the light of the world, we don't have a relationship with the light of the world, we are in fact in darkness. So let's go to God's word for this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? You know, they talk a lot about fellowship, right, between these three. What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial. Belial refers to wickedness or worthlessness, and you could personify that as being the devil. So what accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. It goes on to say, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So we're not to intermingle our faiths when it comes to doctrine or theology. And again, I don't know how they're going to achieve what they want to achieve without messing with our doctrine and theology, especially when it comes to Christ Jesus. Okay, so I think I am going to stop right here for today and continue on um, with with part two. I think this is going to end up being a two-parter. So until next episode, be that light in the darkness, okay? Wherever you are in this world, learn about this. Learn all you can about it. Go to God's word. Go to God in prayer, speak truth, awake people from their slumber, any chance you get. 
about what is going on in our world and not to fall for what seems like light, but really in truth is darkness. I want to give a shout out real quick to listeners I have in other parts of the world. And um, I'd like to give a shout out today to those of you listening in Italy, Colombia, and France. How does that sound? Italy, Colombia, and France. Thank you so very much for listening to One Little Candle. Give me a hello if you'd like. Um, I pray all is well in your corner of the world. You are being that light in the darkness because the darkness is everywhere and your light, my friend, your candle is needed. So hello to you. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. Candles together at gmail.com if you'd ever like to reach out or you can subscribe. Check out my website, onelittlecandlepodcast.com. And I am also on Instagram as One Little Candle Podcast. So... Thank you so very much. I pray one little candle is is a tremendous blessing to you. All right, song for the day. Um, it is called Jesus is the Way. I'm also going to use that song, I think, for the next part because I love it. Because I've been talking about Jesus being the only way, right? So that's the song. Jesus is the only Jesus is the only way. It's by Bill and the Boomers. The link is on YouTube. I will have it there for you. Um, also, please check out loveandtruthbooks.com, L-O-V-I-N, truthbooks.com. I have a series of children's eBooks free for you. eBooks, I want to get these resources into your hands to get to your children with the truth, God's truth, his truth about gender, his truth about marriage. And I also have a book coming out about Israel. I is for Israel. It's a. It's got actual photographs of Israel and the Jewish people um, introducing children to Israel. So that is that is my newest release coming out in a few days. So please check it out. Um, share these books with your children. I'm going to be recording audio version, audiobook versions too. If you want to listen to them in your car or whatever, wherever, that would be fine as well. Um, so please, loveandtruthbooks.com. Get to your kids first. Counter the lies that are out there. Set a good foundation for them. All right, my friends. Until next time, you take care and God bless.